we are driving this and we are doing what we love and believe in and we are going to make what we know is the right thing to make and we're not doing it for anyone else. You don't need to replicate what someone else is doing. You need to do what you aspire for your business to be. We do what we like and if you don't like it, then don't buy it. (laughs) This is The Growth Effect. I'm Sarah Stockdale. Okay, let's talk big decisions and business partners. Our guest today had a really successful business, and I do mean really successful, and he found her would be happy with how it was going. But they saw a bigger opportunity, so they ditched their original plan and totally reinvented the company. I'm a solo founder. I started Grow Class by myself, and I'm really proud of that. But I also sometimes wish I had a business partner because those huge decisions are really hard. It's also really lonely, and having someone to share the struggle with might take the edge off a little. Conventional wisdom says your business partner shouldn't be your best friend. But as you're going to hear, my guests ignore conventional wisdom a lot. My guests are Jennifer Kelly and Becca Perrin. They are best, best friends. They grew up together and had their first kids at the same time. Then they started a business together while on maternity leave. When you're close and have a friendship that lasts that long, you sort of become sort of one person in many ways. I think our tastes and our aesthetic and our style and our sensibility has kind of morphed into kind of one being over the course of that time. Paris started as a homeware company. Back then they were called Pear Designs. They took their shared fashion sense and created beautiful, affordable products. People loved them. They were in major retailers and had a seven-figure turnover. Then they launched their petite pear collection, stylish stuff for babies. And they saw something bigger and better, so they had to make a decision. We're going to find out about that moment, the leap that they had to take after the break. The first voice you'll hear after mine is Becca. Businesses are built by people and driven by passion. Our partners at HSBC Bank Canada pride themselves in helping those passionate people navigate the ebbs and flows of running a company. Their diverse team of relationship managers are ready to help you thrive. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca. Tell me a little bit about the transition from the original design of the business to what you have now, and how did you make that hard decision to focus on on children versus kind of keeping this larger home goods with petite pair business? It took some time, you know, because we did have connection and attachment to what we felt was our core, the core of our brand. And so we did feel that there was a risk there and we didn't want to sort of say goodbye to it necessarily. But we had sort of a period of, I'd say, 12 or 18 months where we sort of tried to sort of manage to do both. And that has its challenges. They're different cycles. They're largely different customers. They're different, you know, manufacturers for the most part. They're just completely different sensibilities, right? So there was that sort of constant push and pull between which side would get the attention. It was kind of shortly after, I think in 2017, when we made the decision that we were no longer going to produce any of the home accessories. And that was a hard decision to make because we had a seven-figure business. So we really had to feel good about that decision. And we actually had some large retail brands who we were doing exclusive lines for. And 
They came to us and they're like, okay, let's design spring. We're like, actually, we're not doing that anymore. So it was really hard because the opportunities were there. But what we saw were bigger opportunities within the baby and kids category. I think one of our biggest sort of worries or concerns throughout the process was, you know, what are people going to say? Like, what are people going to think? What is that going to do to sort of their feelings of the brand and of us and what we learned so quickly was that they followed our lead. So when we were believing in this direction of the brand and this is where we were going, there was very little, if any, questions or ripples or sort of, but what? You know, everyone was just incredibly supportive from the customer base that we had. And they understood and they're like, this is amazing. And I think that was a real sort of reminder to the two of us that we are driving this and we are doing what we love and believe in and we are going to make what we know is the right thing to make and we're not doing it for anyone else. We're doing this because this is what we want to do and believe in and we love and we're fortunate that I think we're very fortunate that we have found a customer base of people who who love it and who buy it and who believe in the brand as well and so they sort of followed suit. So it was really confirmation that that was the right decision to make really. I think as business owners, we're obsessed with our customers in in almost like a almost a problematic way. Like we really, really want to build things that are going to make them happy and are going to make their lives just that much more, in your case, beautiful, in my case, easier or slightly better. But I think that's a that's an incredible reminder to entrepreneurs that like you are leading this business, you get to make those calls. You get to make those decisions that you think are going to be are going to be the right way forward. And if there is, you know, if there are entrepreneurs listening to this right now who are kind of struggling with those decisions, what are some of the things that you learned through that or things that you wished that you had just made the decision faster? I think one of the biggest lessons we learned was to acknowledge and recognize the pluses and minuses of both. So we were sort of stacking up What makes the most sense for the business from a profit perspective, from a scaling perspective, from a margin perspective, from a seasonality perspective? I mean, we sort of stacked up the two businesses. We talk about our gut a lot. You know, we do what we believe in and what we love, but it's not without that sort of second piece of it, which which is with respect to sort of the the strength of the business model of each. We wouldn't have done it if we didn't love it as well, but it certainly needed that makes sense from the business perspective, which it did for us. There's always the concern like, oh, are they going to think the business is suffering? And that's why we're doing it. And I think always from the very beginning, and maybe because we have each other to bounce things off of, but we really have our blinders on when it comes to what other comparable businesses are doing (laughs) or competitors. You know, there's not anyone that's exactly in our space. They may be in parts of it, but I think it's really important to as Becca said, understand your business, take a look at where the opportunities are and do what you think is best for your business because you don't need to replicate what someone else is doing. You need to do what you aspire, you know, for your business to be. I totally agree. And I think Jen, you said it and it's so true. And for for better or worse, we are horrible at watching what our competitors are doing. And it's probably for the better. We don't ever talk about it internally. We look at things all the time from the standpoint of inspiration, but it's rarely in the the space that we're in, if ever. And I think that that's because we've always from day one wanted to make beautiful things that we loved. And it wasn't to be keeping in step with so-and-so or because they did it. 
we do what we like, what we would want in our own homes. And we get inspiration from all parts, but never from competitors. And I think that that's a good, I think, model to kind of keep because if you're sort of being true to who your brand is, then really wouldn't matter what so-and-so is doing because it has no bearing on what you're going to be doing. And we do what we like. And if you don't like it, then don't buy it. (laughs) There's a lot of people that may not know how to put things together or how to design something or a nursery or a print or a pattern. or And that's kind of what our job is for them is to do that curation and give them all of the elements so that they can create their dream space or their you know, create that lifestyle that they want for themselves and their baby. And that's our role, you know, so we obviously do it for them, but it is very much about us finding inspiration and kind of bringing it to life. I I have weeks where I never look at my competitors. And then I have weeks where I get obsessed with that comparison, that like comparison is the enemy of joy, comparing myself to other founders, comparing myself to other businesses. It is hard, but I agree with you that it is those blinders are so necessary that 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 focus is so key to to the success of what you've been able to build. The blinders I think are really from a for at least from I think it's hard to stay away from comparisons. I think it's hard for everybody, Sarah. I don't I don't think we're any different. I think where our blinders are really in play is on the products and the assortments and the prints and the everything that we create. I think that's where we sort of go deep within ourselves or we find a beautiful print or we sort of decide what comes next and it's very we don't see what's going on around us in that space. And I think that that's helpful to keep our point of view looking very much like us always. You know, it stays, I think, pretty consistent because it's not being skewed by trends or by somebody else's designs for the season. It's based on who we are and who the, and the brand has really evolved to become really a reflection of, of us. And I think that's also a huge business strength. I think a lot of, you know, in software and in SaaS, where I come from, of how do you create things that are evergreen, that aren't going to be consistently going out of style? And in my space, that means when we're when we're building and we're teaching, we're making sure that, that the strategies that we're building for folks and, and how we're teaching isn't predicated on a tool or isn't predicated on something that's going to change or change an algorithm, you know in a month or or tomorrow. And I found that to be such a strength of pair that you have these beautiful evergreen products that aren't, you know, leather pleather leggings for a toddler that are cool right now and maybe we are not going to be cool in in 5 minutes. How do you think about evergreen in fashion because it is such a it's such an industry predicated on trend. There are always new mums new grandmothers, new aunts, new aunties, friends, all of those things. And, you know, I think most new moms would agree that they spent very little time looking at or putting any energy against baby things until they were expecting. So a lot of kind of these evergreen products that we have or some of our classic prints, those are new to that new mom. And there is kind of a timelessness there. We would say like kind of a modern timelessness, but, and they don't need to go away with every, every season or every year. We do, however, and I think that this is, you know, something that people looking to, to build a D2C business need to think about is that when you have a direct to consumer business and you want to keep your consumer coming back and have those repeat purchases you do need to be offering newness fairly often. And 
our strategy has evolved in such a way that we do get an opportunity to kind of test some new products or bring some things to life for a shorter kind of capsule collection. And that's intentional. The joy of this is that we get to make those decisions in terms of what we want to launch or not launch or design we want to develop. And we do bring out, you know, I would say in the last couple of years, a a bit more kind of those in and out collections where there'll be like limited time for, for certain seasons and then develop more of those like classic kind of evergreen timeless collections that we we know will be around. Uncertain times call for certain solutions. The right tools and the right partner can be your key to success, and HSBC Canada has both. Businesses are built by people and driven by passion. Our partners at HSBC Bank Canada pride themselves in helping those passionate people navigate the ebbs and flows of running a company. Their diverse team of relationship managers are ready to help you thrive. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca. You were best friends growing up, and I've been given advice, you know, over and over again, you know, don't start a company with a friend. Don't start a company with a family member. Tell me a little bit about how you decided, you know, my co-founder is going to be my best friend and we're going to make this work. How did that go? And what are some of the things that didn't work? Well, we have been told that over and over for the last 10 years, multiple times. And we kind of nod and listen to the stories and all of the horror stories that go along with, you know, business partnerships. I think I'm not just speaking for myself when I say that there's no way I could have done this without Becca. I I admire entrepreneurs who build a business independently because I feel like there has just been so much compatibility in terms of Becca and I building this together. We came from, as Becca said, different professional backgrounds. So that really helped when we kind of made the decision Uh, that we wanted to start something that we both had specific areas of focus. So I think that's a big one. You know, you have to have a different skill set than the person that you're going into business with, because there was a clear delineation in terms of what Becca was going to work on and lead and what I was going to work on and lead. And then we've always had a shared um, responsibility for kind of business management. And I would say to some extent, kind of creative direction, very little has changed in that regard in the last 10 years. But I think because of the history that we have and having known each other for so long, the communication is very open. So if there's an issue or if there's something we feel like we need, it's dealt with, you know, it's a bit kind of familial in that way where there's, we're not afraid to to hold much back. But to be honest, I think because of that, there's not really that much conflict, you know, in general. And when I've seen partnerships, other people go into business together, that's often the issue. It's like they hold something back. They don't tell their partner what they're really thinking or what they want. You know, there's, it's generally a communication issue, I would say. So I think that's a big piece of it. And, and we've been able to kind of maintain that friendship and relationship. I mean, our, if anyone listened to our 8 a.m., you know, kind of first call in the morning, it flips and flops between <laughs> business and personal, like back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I'm a solo founder and I'm literally just, as you're speaking, I'm like going through Rolodex of people in my head, like, who can I call? <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, it must be so lonely and scary. And as Jen said, we 
couldn't do it with, like literally couldn't do it without. We both started families. We have a bunch of kids between the two of us. There's logistics in life. And thankfully, we have one another to sort of pick up the ball when the other one drops it. And similarly, I think we, we whether it's by design or it's, we're not aware, I don't know, but I think we also do a really good job of balancing one another's moments of, oh my gosh, this is blowing up or, oh my God, this is a disaster or we can't do this or something's gone wrong. The other one invariably, whoever is having that moment, the other one seems calm, cool and collected. And then the reverse happens. So we're able to sort of maintain a delineation and not have two people freaking out on the big stuff at the same time. So I think we need that sort of built-in support and therapy from one another because it helps keep us kind of moving ahead. I do think it can help the decision-making process as well, Sarah, to go back to like some of those bigger decisions. It's, it's like, we're in this together. You know, it's like, if you're doing it on your own, you're like, if this ship sinks, it's, it's me. So I think that that helps as well. It kind of, we empower each other that way. I, I guess I would say it's like, we can do this. We can figure it out. We've gone over enough hurdles before that we can do it again if we need to. You can basically figure anything out at this point. And that kind of brings me to my next question about what happened in March. Like, what were those conversations when the world started shutting down? I'm a a 4 a.m. person. I wake up at 4 a.m. and have conversations with myself. What did that look like for you when, when COVID hit? What we thought was going to happen was that there was going to be a recession and that, you know, everything would just kind of shut down commerce in general. So we anticipated, we actually put together kind of a COVID plan for the rest of the year and reprojected and reforecasted the rest of our year based on, on that. What we saw start happening at the end of March was that, yes, all of our brick and mortar, because our business is wholesale and e-commerce direct to consumer, that our wholesale customers were shutting doors, obviously, But what was happening was any of their online business was picking up very quickly. And then the same happened with our e-commerce. I mean, we saw tremendous growth immediately in Canada and in the U.S. from an e-commerce perspective. We saw our Canadian e-commerce sales go up by 250% and about 200% in the U.S. However, we were still very pessimistic about how long that was going to maintain. And, you know, along with it are all of the challenges that come along with distribution and inventory and managing all of that. So I would say from a business perspective, that was kind of our biggest challenge was how we were going to be fulfilling orders and how we were going to be managing the inventory that we had because, and and Becca can talk more to this, but we produce everything in India and obviously India has been very hard hit and had a lot of shutdowns as well. So it's just managing the teams, both our team in India and here and keeping everyone safe, but still, you know, making sure that the business was running. That's incredibly interesting because when I go back and look through your history, you started as a retail and wholesale brand and then built e-commerce. And in my experience working with growing brands right now, a lot of folks are just heading straight to the D2C space especially with what's happening with COVID. Can you speak a little bit more about how your wholesale business has changed and how that shaped Pear? When we launched 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, 
shockingly, I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago, but really there were very few direct-to-consumer brands. So we did take the wholesale route. That was what we were familiar with and comfortable with in doing. And it wasn't until 2015 that we launched our e-commerce site. And what we saw was a lot of immediate organic growth. We actually didn't start doing any advertising at all until about two years ago. But I think the reason that we saw that organic growth was because we have such a deep assortment. So we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of products. I think we probably have, what, Becca, like 800 products right now. So there's not any one retailer that can carry all of that. So we were always, you know, what we kind of built with our e-commerce was really a destination for the brand. And that was somewhere where you could go to find everything pair. And wholesale still plays a really important role in our business. But it, it is a very different model now. I think most, as you said, entrepreneurs plan on going direct to consumer off the bat. And we've seen a lot of those brands over the last few years pivot themselves and then have a wholesale channel, which I would say is much more difficult to do because you build the wholesale business on certain margins. It's a specific structure. And e-commerce is quite different in many ways and a different margin structure. So it's hard to go back. It's hard to do direct-to-consumer and then build a model for wholesale. Because people are used to your direct-to-consumer prices. And then when they see you in that retailer, the price tag is shocking. Right. That's the thing. You can't really do that. One of the things that I'm always curious about entrepreneurs, because we are cerebral folks, we're making decisions for our business, we're looking at data. What is a decision that you made for Pear that went against conventional wisdom, that went against everything that you were supposed to be doing, but felt like the right thing? I think it was when we went organic, really. For me, that's a big one because we had a pricing structure that made a ton of sense, great margins, great sort of space within the market. It was all working. You know, we didn't need to make the change and increase pricing marginally to do so. We knew that there was probably going to be some attrition with that. You know, we might lose some customers, but it didn't need to happen, but it needed to happen for us. And we needed to make the change because we knew that it was where we wanted to go. And in five and 10 years, that's who our brand was going to be and what we'd be known for. So I think that was a big one for me. I think that was an internal shift. And I think our model evolved and really sort of solidified. I think at that moment, that really was a moment where we said, this is important for the brand and who we are, and this is why we do it. And, you know, there is there are ripples with that, with costs and pricing and all kinds of things. But when you're doing it sort of for a larger reason than the sort of details, I think that it it makes it, it's much easier to sort of stick with it. There's been many, I would say, over the years, right down to when we actually decided to launch our petite pair collection. You know, we got the feedback that was like, you need to stay focused, like stay focused on what you're doing. And I think often that is really good advice. But sometimes you do need to try other things to see if there's something that is even stronger or that you could, is an addition to your business. And I think often, you know, I think a big thing is for entrepreneurs is, is not being afraid to evolve. I think we get so stuck in what you think you're, you know, you started your business here and that's what it has to be for the rest of its life. And that doesn't need to be the case. I think evolving is natural. We do it as people. It's a regular 
everyday occurrences, things evolve and things change. And I think you need to be open to evolving your business as opportunities come along or as certain things happen. I think a really good example of what you just described, Jen, is we had a large retail customer that we'd worked with for a few years in Baby, and they asked us to design apparel. And we said, sure, you know, we'll do it because they wanted our aesthetic, but they had their manufacturing set up. So we started doing that for a couple seasons and then we didn't like not having complete control over the finishing product. You know, it's very difficult to design it and not really be able to sort of ensure that everything sort of, you know, works the way you want it to from the end result. So we approached them and said, let us do all of it. Let us design it and produce it. We'll manufacture it. We will guarantee the quality execution, all of that. But we didn't have a manufacturer for a pair at the time. We didn't know how to do that. We didn't have any of that lined up. And then we looked at each other and we're like, shit, now we have to find a supplier. We have to find a, a technician. We don't know how to make clothes. So I think you can do it all. Like you can figure it out. I mean, nothing, we have known nothing about anything and we've made 5 trillion mistakes, but we do just keep going. And I know, we know that we can figure it out. And we did. And fast forward two years, and apparel is one of our biggest categories by far and is on the fastest trajectory of all. And it is something that we didn't even think of before this opportunity. And we certainly didn't have it all ironed out when we when we sort of <laughs> when we decided to take it on. So I think it's just like figuring it out and not being afraid to sort of test the waters of something you have no knowledge of. Because if you figured it out so far, if you figured out how to start a business and you figured out how to build a brand and have a have a product that people love, there's no question you can figure out all these extra pieces along the way. That was Jennifer Kelly and Becca Perrin, the founders of Pear. Listening to Jennifer and Becca, I couldn't stop thinking about how important it is to trust yourself when you're building a business. It's easy to watch your competition and follow their lead or choose the safe known path because straying is risky. Becca and Jennifer don't do any of that. They unfollow their competitors and focus on making things they want to see in the world. They aren't afraid to change their business when the evidence and their gut tells them that everything needs to shift. They're willing to learn how to do anything to build and grow their business. Remember that you can figure anything out whether it's pivoting your business through COVID or starting something brand new, you're not going to know everything. None of us do. Start, trust yourself, and figure it out. Until next time, remember that you've got this. This is The Growth Effect. If you like what we're doing and want other people to hear it, please give us a rating and leave us a short review. It makes such a difference. The Growth Effect is produced by the Globe Content Studio in partnership with HSBC Bank Canada. The producers are Jay Coburn and Katie Jensen of Vocal Fry Studios. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. I'm Sarah Stockdale. Thank you for listening. <laughs>